So today we're starting this sermon series on the book of James. So what we're going to do is give you a little sampling of the book of James for our reading this morning. Oh, that needs to be way taller for you, doesn't it? <laughs> or just take the microphone, grab the mic. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> First scripture readings from the epistle of James, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all who, to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. And later on in that first chapter of James, we hear, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love God. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does God tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after evil has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. But be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror, for they look at themselves and, on going away, immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. And later on in the letter of James, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Surely that faith cannot save, can it? For brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs. What is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I by my works will show you my faith. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is worthless? The word of the Lord. Thank you. And so today we begin this sermon series on banned books of the Bible. Recently, Napa School Board voted to 
permanently remove about two dozen books from their library shelves, which is how we got the idea for this sermon series. We were talking about it in leadership, and somebody had a great idea. Melanie had a great idea. Now, school boards are charged with maintaining community standards, with ensuring that sexually explicit materials are not in school libraries. And while the books in Nampa were removed because, as they were called, pornography, it is interesting to note that the Idaho Press Tribune reports some of the books that have been removed were rated as having little or no sexual content by Common Sense Media, which is a website that I use to check on stuff that my kids are interested in. This last year, it's reported, there has been a big uptick across the country in book banning. And some books are banned because they are deemed to be sexually explicit. Some books are banned for, um, for naming things uh, racist, often under the banner of critical race theory. In Idaho, we had a, that indoctrination task force which appeared to be more interested in suppressing facts than in eliminating misinformation. Now, book banning has been around for a long time. Ideas, words, books change people. They are powerful. The Bible has changed every one of us. It's been said that Uncle Tom's Cabin, a, a novel, um, was the spark that led to the Civil War. And book banning can also be a form of propaganda, a way of ideological warfare, of rendering your opponent invisible. And we know that dictators commonly ban books uh, as a way of suppressing ideas that could give them trouble. And even books of the Bible have been banned. Today, we are going to look at the book of James, which was tried to be banned. It's a letter, an epistle of St. James. Scholars disagree on who, who actually wrote it. Who is this James who wrote it? It could have been James, the brother of Jesus, who led the, the Jerusalem church. It could have been a person who wrote later, who wrote, like, dedicating the letter to James, which was a common practice in the ancient world. But we know who the letter is written to. The 12 tribes scattered among the nations. It references those 12 tribes of Israel, that complete community of the people of God that are scattered among the nations that are all over the place with other people. There is a letter, an epistle to, to, to Diagnestus in the um, second century that described what, you know, those lives of Christians. And it says Christians live in their respective countries, but only as resident aliens. They participate in all things as citizens, and they endure all things as foreigners. Every foreign territory is a homeland for them, and every homeland is a foreign territory. The letter of James is to these Christians, living as aliens wherever they are living with these pressures and challenges of being Christian in a world that didn't honor their faith. And in the fourth century, 
when the universal church um, named those writings that were recognized as inspired scripture and not those because there was a lot of writings in new testament times they named in the canon the ones that were regarded as scripture and left off the ones that weren't the letter of james was recognized as scripture a thousand years later martin luther wanted it removed from the bible now christianity had changed a lot in a thousand years the church had gone from being a community of people kind of living in exile to a primary political power in europe many bishops owned as much land as princes and acted just like them the gifts to the church were enforced as taxes and and the penalty was damnation you know or execution and luther stood up to all of that luther's central insight was that faith alone is necessary for salvation not that stuff that people were told they have to do people didn't earn salvation and his core piece of text from scripture um that 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 turned for him was romans 323 all have sinned and are justified freely without their own works and merit by god's grace through the redemption that is in christ jesus luther translated the entire bible into german the language of the normal people around him this had not been done since the vulgate back in 384 when the original hebrew and greek was translated into latin the language of the normal people around them he translated every book of the, the whole book um, into german and as he did he wrote commentaries and notes and he judged every book up against that passage from romans and james did not measure up it only mentions jesus explicitly twice martin luther said therefore saint james epistle is really an epistle of straw compared to the others for it has nothing of the nature of the gospel about it and martin luther never to leave himself undone later said we should throw the epistle of james out of this school for it doesn't amount to much it contains not a syllable about christ not once does it mention christ except at the beginning i maintain that some jew wrote it who probably heard about christian people but never encountered any since he heard that Christians place great weight on faith in Christ, he thought, wait a moment, I'll oppose them and urge works instead. <laughs> well, that was harsh. And ignores the faithful discernment of the universal church in recognizing James's scripture. Now, remember, Luther was in like this theological battle that was, I mean, had military components to it. Luther's theological opponent was the mighty Roman church that executed heretics. And they used the letter of James against him. They used James 2.17. Faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Now, to be clear, the works that they were talking about was paying, praying, and obeying. The works James is talking about is feeding clothing meeting bodily needs 
And so Luther started this reformation, you know, with that 95 thesis in 1517. And many German princes joined this new church. Luther called himself an evangelical Catholic, joined this new movement. And I think it is a valid question to say, did they join this new movement out of religious conviction? Or because they got to seize all those lands owned by the bishops? Well, the Reformation spread like wildfire across Europe. It was merely 17 years later that Henry VIII cut England off from the Roman Church and established the Church of England. Well, Luther was not successful getting rid of James. 200 years later, a priest of the Church of England had a very different take on James. John Wesley also translated a lot, did, did a lot of translation, just like Luther. Translated the entire New Testament into English, the language of normal people. And just like Luther, he wrote commentaries and he wrote notes. But Wesley found James to be central in this revival movement that was called Methodism, our church. Today, the United Methodist Church says, and you could look it up on the website, umc.org, United Methodists believe our faith is demonstrated in the way we live. Jesus used the metaphor of a tree. He taught every good tree produces good fruit, and therefore we will know them by their fruit. And the book of James similarly states, faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity. Methodism is a religion that expresses faith in works. Because what we do often says a lot more about what we believe than what we say, especially when power is involved. In Matthew 21, Jesus told a story of a man with two sons and a vineyard. One son was told to go to the vineyard, said no, went anyway. The other son was to, told to go to the vineyard, said yes, and then didn't go. Anybody have children? Is this ringing any bells? Anybody done that yourself? Well, and then Jesus says, which one did the will of the Father? And then Jesus nails the point home, and it is scathing. He says to those religious leaders, those people you think don't count? Those tax collectors and sinners, those folks you think don't count because they have the wrong job, because they ha don't have the right degree, because of their race, because of their gender, whatever it is you think, those people you think don't count, those people are following the will of God and they are saved. And you are not. That's powerful. Our actions don't earn God's love, but they do communicate our truth. In our baptism, we profess faith in Christ. We claim our discipleship. We claim this life of following Christ, a life committed to loving God and loving our neighbor. And then we look at our life and find out how true that commitment is. Well, I will tell you, Jesus has gotten a hold of me, 
and I want to spend the rest of my life following Christ, learning from Christ, and, and molding my life after Christ. I want to live as a citizen of a kingdom of heaven, and I want to love God and love people as God does. And I look at my life, and there is some evidence to that. Sunday worship, time in prayer, studying scripture, charitable giving and volunteering, speaking out in advocacy, caring for my children, caring for elderly family members, my own work to be anti-racist, to challenge my own racism, commitment to this church community and spending time together, staying in the game when there are conflicts, and forgiving and apologizing. And when I look at my life, I see that I fail constantly. When I neglect my spiritual life, that my generosity has definite limits, that there are important justice issues that I'm not speaking out on, and that sometimes I can just be indifferent to the suffering of others. I can just, you know, sometimes I just buy stuff. You know, I'm just sucked into that life of materialism. Sometimes I avoid conflicts, and I avoid forgiving, and I avoid apologizing. And the letter of James is a reminder. A reminder that failings happen. That there are problems, and there are struggles in this life of discipleship, and that daily we need recalibrated back to this life of following Christ. Daily we need recalibrated back to a faith that is expressed in our actions. A faith that is in our head and in our hearts and in our hands. Now James is a short letter. You could go home this afternoon, read it pretty quickly. And I want to leave you with two questions. The first is in the end, where do you come down? Do you think the letter of James should be included in the New Testament? And the second is what are the works of your life that express your faith in Christ? Would you pray with me? Lord God, you have called us to follow you and to follow you with our whole lives in actions and in works and in words. Lord, we ask you to call us back to you every day. Call us to living as your faithful people. Call us to, to a faith that can be recognized even without words. Lord, we pray that every day you grow our faith, you deepen our commitment to you, to our faith, to discipleship, and to each other. And we pray these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.